0: I'm looking for yield. I still believe apartment complexes are the bread and butter, but the cap rates are compressed. There's just not a lot of returns like it used to be. It's not as juicy. So if you want yield, you might have to work for it. And by work for it, I mean it's heavier in operations.
1: Your network is your net worth. Come listen to some of the most successful people I know. Share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to another episode of Weiss Advice. I'm your host, as always, Yona Weiss. And with me today, have a wonderful guest. As always, today we're welcoming Melanie McDaniel to the stage. How are you doing today?
0: I am good. Thank you for having me. So happy to be here.
1: Yeah. Well, it's a pleasure to have you finally. I think I've been meaning to ask you on this podcast for quite a while. You've been busy traveling around from Mexico to Colorado to Texas to, I don't know where else it's hard to keep up, but you're everywhere. It seems like.
0: Yeah. it got back from Nashville last night.
1: <laughs> there you have it. You know, I think it's amazing because I mean, you've not kind of, you have, you know, created this lifestyle where you're able to live and be wherever you want and able to work from everywhere, which is fantastic, especially when you're raising capital and investing in real estate. It's not something you necessarily need to be local for. Right. So Melanie, give us a little background. I'd love to give our guests a little bit of a context to who we're talking with. Obviously, I already mentioned you're a real estate investor. I already mentioned you travel around a lot and doing a lot. You, I like to go into hashtag network queen because you happen to go to a ton of events and on a lot of Zoom up things that we had during COVID. Grateful for you joining ours a lot of time. Tell us a little bit about your background, how you got into real estate.
0: Yeah, so I'm from Utah originally. Grew up in a normal middle class family. Parents worked. My dad worked for the state prison. My mom is a stenographer, so theoretically she worked for herself, but she did work firm that pretty much handed her jobs and stayed with that for a bazillion years, like thirty something, my whole life and more. I'm older than 30, but anyway. Not much, though. <laughs> no, not much, not at all. So, you know, go to school, get good grades, get a job. And then instead of going directly to college, I'm like, why would I waste my time going to college? I don't even know what I want to be when I grow up. So I decided I wanted to travel the world and make money while I did it, while maybe getting some money for college. And that is called the military. Mm. So I was in the Navy. I joined at 17 because I graduated high school a year early. I was over that high school crap. Joined the Navy, first duty station in Italy. So check the box on the travel, right? Second duty station commissioning the Ronald Reagan in Virginia. And then I got out and I went to get my bachelor's degree. And I got, of course, this should surprise you. My bachelor's degree is in hospitality and travel administration. Oh, there you go. (laughs) What the heck am I supposed to do with that? Right. So my first job, I worked on a submarine in Waikiki. So that is tourism industry, but then kind of went back to my roots. The whole government job thing ended up in the National Park Service because my dad's wife at the time still is a park ranger. She's about to retire, but she worked Rocky Mountain at the time. Looked pretty interesting. Oh, wow. I thought, oh, I can go save lives and count squirrels. Why I do that, right? So <laughs> That was my job. I ended up doing that for nine years. I read Bridge Deadport in 2015. Of course, that shifted my whole life, and I felt like I got the short end of the stick with this whole job thing, and mm-hmm. decided to get into real mm-hmm. estate and entrepreneurship. Turns out that's what I am, and I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. And I've been doing that ever since 2017 because it took me two years from 2015 to 17 to really shift the mindset, get myself ready, and jump. It was literally the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. So, wow. yeah. So, 2017, I became a real estate agent, kind of as the stepping stone. While I figured out what I wanted to do in investing, I knew I wanted to go big because it made sense—the economies of scale and everything. But I still didn't really know if it was apartments. I didn't know. I was really just listening to Bigger Pockets all the time and reading books and trying to figure that out for myself. And after being a real estate agent, helping some of my clients flip homes, buy their first long-term rentals, and some of that, then I kind of. Felt more secure and what I wanted to do, which was the apartments. I did Michael Blanc's coaching program, bought my first apartment and that was early 2020. Decided buying apartments isn't very fun. The actual act of buying apartments, like the acquisitions and the due diligence and the talking right. to brokers and all that stuff. I don't like it, but you know what I like? I love real estate. I believe in it as a wealth building tool, a financial freedom tool and I can talk to investors. Therefore, the piece I found myself in in the real estate piece is bringing money to deals like capital. And now I have a fund. So that's mm-hmm. kind of the journey in a nutshell.
1: There you go. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, that's a lot to pack in there. I mean, I, I still can't believe you are a park ranger. I don't think I knew you were in the military, but the park ranger thing, maybe for some reason, it never made it out there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Yep. I think I always thought of myself as like, um, the Charlie's angel or whatever. I was always going and doing crazy workout stuff. And I don't know, law enforcement fit my personality for a brief period of time. But at the end of the day, I just want to mind my own business. And I don't care if your dog's off leash, like truly.
1: (laughs) Wow. I'm sure you had some stories though. I mean, which park, like which forests or national parks or wherever were you located?
0: Arches National Park was my first park. Mojave National Preserve was my second park. Back oh, wow. to Arches. Yeah. And then Mojave. Well, I don't know. Maybe that's out of order. Anyway, my longest time period was in Santa Monica Mountains National Recreation Area. And I was there for seven years. So that's Malibu, California. Mm-hmm. Kind of LA County, Ventura County line there. And that was that was a lot of fun. That was weird. Great. A lot of weird people there
1: there are a lot of weird people there. That is true. I can say I've spent some time in those areas, so I can vouch for that. I mean, this is beautiful hills there, going through the Malibu Hills and the, the PCH there. That's incredible. I mean, I'm sure it gave you a lot of time, some solitude out there as well, which great for thinking.
0: Yeah. A lot of my day was like, where are the people? Okay. I'm going to this other trail then.
1: <laughs> so yeah, that's cool. Saving people, doing stuff like that. Listen, hikes are sometimes dangerous. People go out there and you know, stumble and fall and who knows what.
0: I will say like I did a lot of saving and I did a lot of body recoveries and didn't save those ones. They're just more recovery. Yeah, I'm quite desensitized to a lot of stuff in that world. Uh, I try to put that part behind me, some interesting memories, but yeah, very interesting career. I'm grateful for the people who want to be out there getting between the good and the bad, right? And I'm glad I got to do it for a while. Now I know I can appreciate it a lot more, but yeah, just definitely not my thing.
1: And now you spend your time doing a lot of traveling, right? I guess that travel bug came from high school right into the Navy going to Italy. But have you, you know, since been all over as well in different areas or, you know, you kind of found those places that you love and just go back and forth between them?
0: I tend to go to new places. I've been to Italy a number of times, in Costa Rica a couple of times, Belize a couple of times, but for the most part, I have a bucket list and I like to check boxes. So yeah, lots of new stuff. 2020, I actually got, I went completely nomadic, sold all of my belongings, put my car in storage and I went off to Thailand. And when I was coming back from Thailand is about when COVID was hitting and the rest of my trips for 2020 were canceled. So I was more domestically nomadic, did some Belize and Mexico, some... Alaska, though that's the US, and California, yeah. and Idaho, Utah, Arizona, Texas. And that's kind of back and forth between Boise and Texas for the last two summers. And I just kind of found my home in Texas. So I will say I'm I'm sticky. I have roots. But yes, travel is a huge part of my life. I've been to, I think, almost all of the continents, not Antarctica. And so some Asia, some Africa, some, I don't know, all over. I haven't been to Australia, though, or Antarctica. So.
1: So what do you like best about the travel? Because some people really love to travel and some people really, really don't like it. But those who do, obviously you do. I, what is it about the travel that that you like so much?
0: I think I'm just a curious person. And I love to see not just geography or historical stuff, which is all amazing, but different cultures, different ways of living. Because you know, we're American, like being here in the US, we see, well, maybe you're not American. I don't know whatever um, <laughs> but, you know we see our perfect yards and our how we go to school and have our religions and how we have our roads and then you go somewhere else there's different road signs There are different ways of doing things like Africa, or uh, india was the most different place i've ever been outside of my own culture and it was just so much fun to see their chaos but it works right so just big curiosity, meeting people and having my mind changed, I guess, from what my labels are, my stereotypes, you know, my limitations yeah. and going yeah. and having those ideas challenged. Sure. I think that's interesting.
1: It is. I mean, you do pick up on if you're open to it, obviously a person can go as a tourist or they can go as try to get into the culture a little bit and get, you know, meet with the people. Are you have any uh, languages under your belt or are you able to speak in other languages?
0: I can dabble in Italian and Spanish, but definitely I'm all American <laughs> when it comes to
1: languages. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. No, obviously it could help if you're uh, you know, going to different places, but...
0: I lived in yeah. Italy for two years. I have no excuse that <laughs> all my friends were Americans because I was 18 and 19 and I didn't know any better.
1: All right. Uh, it takes... It's a challenge. It is. You have to really go out of your way to immerse yourself to do something like that. Yeah. So now, you know, in the real estate business, you're doing the thing enjoying it, buying apartments. And now you mentioned also you're, you know, looking into short-term rentals, getting involved back in your roots of the hospitality space, which it is. I mean, short-term rentals are really hospitality more than anything else. So it's very different than a regular long-term, you know, single family. And there's a lot of benefit there because the cash flow can be incredible if done right and set up right.
0: Yeah. I think it is more interesting because you can be creative when it comes to the decorating. There are these there's so much support for the short-term rental community that if you want to go above and beyond and hit those higher nightly rates and occupancy and stuff, I mean, there's a company that you have your own store and you can feature local artists. You can hang stuff on the wall and say, you can take this, just scan this QR code and you can buy this right off the wall, right? And you can have things delivered. You can have cubby holes, boxes in the garage where if they want the bachelorette box or they want the birthday party box or they whatever it is you offer you they can scan the code pay for it and then they get a code and they go open their little locker and they get whatever their package is. or i mean sky is the limit in creativity on how to monetize and then make these things just cash cows they really the cash on cash you know if if you're not getting at least a 15 you're failing if you're not getting 20 to 30 that's kind of where people want to this is cash on cash right so Mm -hmm. a lot of money to be made but there is a lot of money to be made. I'm always thinking of different exit strategies, just in case it gets saturated. Right, And then regulations are really tough and you have to work around that. So it's not a no brainer, sort of investment, but it's very enticing to learn and do it correctly sure. because there are a lot of returns. Yeah.
1: yeah, And I mean, like any other type of investment, the first thing you really is to research the markets. I mean, like you said, there's certain locales that have regulations and have, you know, ways you can and can't do things and finding a market where it's much more free game and open game where they're much more open to it. And there's not really any expectation to have any sort of regulations in the future because of, you know, I wouldn't say it's saturated, but like, for example, vacation markets, as opposed to, you know, just cities, right, where people live, they don't want, they like communities, most people would like communities, they want neighbors, they want to feel part, they just don't want people coming in and out all the time. But where you find another place, like you have, for example, the Smoky Mountains of of Tennessee, where it's just, it's all vacation rentals, like, you know, there are very few people that actually live there, you know, like 80% are just, they're all tourists. So finding a place like that is obviously makes it much more Lucrative and, and without the worry of the regulations.
0: Yeah, regulations are tough for sure. And then watching for saturation, but no matter where you go, if you're in a saturated market, you can still succeed, but you need to be the top 10%. You need to go above and beyond. It's like not even a choice. You know, it's funny. The reason I was in Nashville yesterday is because I was at the short term rental wealth con, which is Mike Shogren's conference and I recently listened to you on his podcast about the cost sex study. I know the podcast the cost egg study podcast was probably like launched two months ago or something, but I just listened to it last week. So yeah. Yeah, those guys are they're awesome. Bill Faith and Mike Shogren put that one on.
1: Yeah. So awesome. I saw a lot of people that went to that and it looked like an amazing time. I actually, you know, viewed some of the videos that people took from it and stuff. So I was able to catch a little of the content, not a lot of it, but it looked like an amazing time. I mean short-term rental, it's all about really any business is about education and understanding your product, understanding your market and knowing all the nuances to it. So having you know a network of other people doing that is probably the best thing for you.
0: Oh yeah. You have to be part of the community and learning about the tech options and comparing. And it's a lot of fun. And it's a low barrier to entry. There's kind of three ways to get into short-term rentals, which is arbitrage, where you kind of have a master lease on some sort of property, and then you sublease basically as a short-term rental, or you co-host for someone else's property, or you own your own and host your own. So for people looking to get into some sort of real estate, it's not truly an investment if you're just a property manager, right? Or a co-host. It's not, you don't have any equity and you're not getting all the benefits of the real estate. But it's a really great way to get your foot in the door and start doing something in real estate and low barrier to entry, almost free, like just furnishing a place or maybe not if you're just co-hosting, there's really almost no barrier to entry.
1: It seems like that should be, you know, something pretty easy for people to do. But obviously you come with, you also have those, you know, obviously there's limitations depending on where you live. If there are regulations and things like that, you don't want to get hit with, with things. So there is obviously that, I mean, in Austin, I'm sure there are certain regulations, right?
0: Oh, well, you don't even there are no permits. There are people running Airbnbs illegally, but they're not issuing any more permits in most of downtown Austin.
1: Right. Which makes it very difficult. You know, obviously, anyone's trying to have a business there. But it's also again, you have cities where either people live or there's a lot of tourism already. And there's hotels and the hotels are obviously lobbying to not have the Airbnbs exist there. So finding a coastal, actually, we had someone recently on the on the show, who talked about finding a, a beach town. Actually, who was this? We just spoke. This was very recently. It's like like this week. So I'm trying to remember who it was exactly. But they were able to take a a motel in a a city that did not allow Airbnbs, but because it was a motel and licensed for hospitality, zone for hospitality, she basically was now just converting... The motel into Airbnb units, essentially. Perfect. And so, basically, the best of both worlds there. So that just lit a a light bulb in my mind. Hmm, that's something you can do. Someone's looking to buy an Airbnb in a market that doesn't allow it. We'll just look for hotels, motels, because a lot, you know, some of those are going under.
0: Yeah, or they're being converted to apartments. But yeah, finding one and making a short-term rental would be a great idea. And then if it's really regulated tight and you can't do the short-term rentals, there are mid-term rentals, which is still a little bit more than long-term but they're like one month, three month contracts. Some people think of traveling nurses, you have contractors, you have students, you have PhD students, whatever people looking for furnished places for like a midterm and that mm-hmm. you can pay or charge by the room and you still make a bit more money. Although you know a little bit heavier yeah. on the, the management of it and the turns, but that's how you make the money. So <laughs> got to work there, for it.
1: Is there a lot of demand for, or for something like that? Yes. There is.
0: So speaking of my lifestyle, right, I was what's called, before it was popularized by COVID, <laughs> a digital nomad, meaning I have no home. I move and work anywhere in the world, and the world is much more friendly to nomads or this lifestyle in the U.S. It's not it hasn't quite taken off yet, but when you go overseas, you have whole communities that move together. There's a program called Remote Year. I was signed up to do Remote Year in 2020, but it got canceled because of COVID. But you travel in a group of like 30 people. We all, we're going to meet in Buenos Aires one month. They set up your housing. They set up your co-working space they make sure you have a, a code or a little whatever they're called for your phones. Your phone works there. They are kind of your local support. They set up trips and dinners and speed dating, not dating, but for like businesses with the 30 people you're traveling with. So in then one month you go to Peru another month you go to Mexico City, another month you go to Colombia and that is remote year. So there are all these companies, there's Wi-Fi Tribe, there's Selena, which supports co-working and co-living and Sonder and any place, there's all these companies, there's apps all over the world. There are people that do this and this is very normal in the US, not so much, but if somebody from overseas wanted to come to Austin and they're looking for a co-living space, co-living.com is one place. There are only two properties listed as a a few days ago when I checked, 2,550 per room per month for this one property. And the other one was a little less, but it didn't have the amenities. Right, Because co-living, these people with this lifestyle, they make money. They're not just looking for a place to sleep. They're looking for a whole experience, amenities, dinners together, knowing who these people are that they're living with, going on, you know, having trips planned and having somebody set up their co-working space or their gym membership for them. And they make it decent money. They're probably IT Mm because who can travel with a computer, right? A lot of IT people, marketing, those types of people, they make decent money. It's just a lifestyle choice. So they're willing to pay for a nice place. So I've stayed in Salinas in Mexico, Salina, they have properties all over the world and you rent, it can be as dumb as a hostel bed, right? Or it can be a single bed with a shared bath, or it can be a single room with an in suite bath, or it could be a suite. Like they have a whole level of options for pricing and communal kitchens and activities and parties at night or whatever. It's, it's a whole lifestyle. And outside of the U.S., it's not—it's very popular, but in the U.S., not so much. So, to answer your question, there are people who need this, who want this, in cities like Austin and San Francisco and Phoenix. They're really hard to find.
1: I'm learning something new today. I never knew anything like this even existed. So.
0: <laughs> co living, yeah, yeah,
1: co living. I guess that uh, harder to do. You know, if a person has a family, obviously, but uh, plenty of people out there,
0: right? Yeah, it's not for everyone.
1: Plenty of people out there in the world that are, like you said, traveling, working, and. Real estate is another great option, obviously not a broker, but if you're doing like what you're doing, capital raising and, you know, just getting around, sounds like a great plan to do.
0: It doesn't have to be like your long-term thing, but if you want to do a month, twice a year, you know, you'd want to know what that these things could, that exist. Yeah. That you can go over to the Canary Islands or Portugal or wherever and stay for a month and have a community already set up of people that are like-minded doing what you're doing.
1: That's so cool. Look at that. We're learning new things today from Melanie. I'm very impressed. But one thing I really did want to ask you about a little bit is I know that you have also recently set up a fund to invest in in real estate, specifically multifamily. If I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong. Is it specifically multifamily or is it more open to other asset classes?
0: pretty much all asset classes at this point that I've you know learned and grown. I've done triple net. I've done assisted living. I've done multifamily. I've done now a build to rent community because multifamily, I love it. It's bread and butter, but it's no longer an alternative asset. It's a primary asset. We're competing, mm-hmm. not just with other syndicators and institutions and head funds. We're now getting the insurance companies and the pension funds coming in and buying apartments. It is a primary asset. So I'm looking for yield. I still believe apartment complexes are the bread and butter, but the cap rates are compressed. There's just not a lot of returns like it used to be. It's not as juicy. So if you want yield, you might have to work for it. And by work for it, I mean it's heavier in operations. Assisted living, heavy operations. Short-term rentals, heavy operations. Right. Triple net, not so much, but really great cash flow, pretty solid you know, asset class. Storage, mobile home parks, those things. I'm looking for yield with the risk mitigation, right? They call it the asymmetrical returns, yeah. where high return, low risk Usually it's high risk, high reward, right? But no, we want right. lower risk, but higher returns. I'm just trying to find for my investors, just opportunities and I'm willing to work for it, look for it a little bit harder.
1: Yeah. What have been you know some of these new assets? Obviously you mentioned the short-term rentals, some things, assisted living sounds like a great option as well. In the fund itself, like I guess it, that means it's pretty open that you can bring in investors into different deals through that, correct?
0: Yeah, So my fund is just a little different. It's not a blind fund. So people don't invest in the fund and then I go do what I want with the money. That's not how it works. I pretty much every time I have a deal, the investors look at the deal and they say, yes, I want to participate. Then they invest in the fund and then those funds are allocated to that deal. So I could have 20 deals in the fund and they could be invested in six or 13 or one or all 20 smaller shares, almost like Robin Hood for stocks, Mm -hmm. right? When you pick your portfolio, they get to pick their own portfolio and they can diversify across operators, asset classes, Geographies and then even investment strategies. Are they going for cash flow? Are they going for equity? You know, different ways to build the portfolio. So it's relatively new. We now have only two deals in the fund. I've done other deals in the past. The fund I launched in it was around December officially. The first deal was in there in like February. We just closed one a few days ago. So a little slow. Things are have slowed down quite a bit. A lot of investors are keeping dry powder. Operators are backing off a bit or I've just said, I get a lot of deals across my desk and I just say no all the time because we can't keep underwriting like we did the last few years. We kind of took a really big bite of the apple, like a big Mm -hmm. bite with all the appreciation, Mm -hmm. all the rent bumps, like we've cashed in those chips. So now I'm just very cautious and I won't bring capital or bring my investors to a deal unless I'm just confident, confident all the fundamentals are there and we can be in it for the long haul if we have to write out a market cycle or something.
1: 100%. I definitely hear that. A lot of people have shared sentiments on that as well. Just kind of sitting back, waiting for the right deals or, you know, aggressively just underwriting as much as you can yep. and see if it pencils out. But operators, even within multifamily, like you said, if it is more, you know, operational heavy, maybe going for a heavier lift, not just a simple value add putting, you know, doing a few turns.
0: But Yoda, if they're go- going to do a heavy lift, don't pay pro forma prices. I see that too. I had a guy send me a deal, a 1.6 cap. It was a POS C minus in a C minus neighborhood. And I'm like, what are you thinking? I don't care if it's outside of Dallas. I don't care. That doesn't make any sense. At a six, whatever percent interest That's rate, ridiculous. at a 1.6 cap. You're losing for three years before you even get to the price you paid for it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, it scares me. Makes I am not sense passionate sense. about this at all. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Makes no sense. Yeah, I can't imagine how people are doing deals. Somehow it's working for some people. Is it though? I'm not really sure how, but you gotta ride the wave. It is somehow. Are you sure? I'm Have not sure cashed how.
0: Out? Yeah, these ones. That
1: are- I'm not sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> I take that back. I'm not sure. I've actually heard some stories recently of some deals that kind of went south because of maybe these higher, lower cap rates and, you know, I'm overpromised.
0: Very cautious. I'd rather do no deals than do one bad deal. So I'm just very cautious. So it's a little slow. This is why I've kind of gone to short-term rentals and I'm poking around more in the triple nets and, you know, things that the institutions haven't gotten to yet. They haven't quite figured out the juiciness of a really good triple net or assisted living because that's heavy on operations and short-term rentals, but now institutions are starting to buy portfolios, not just of the short-term rentals and they own the real estate, but the contracts that co-hosts have on short-term rentals, they're buying just the contracts to manage other, it's wow. crazy. Okay. So we can't escape, if you find yield and someone's making money, then someone bigger, some bigger fish is going to find out and they're going to come eat our food, right? <laughs> That's
1: how the world works. <laughs> That's true. You got to, you know, got to try to get there before the big fish comes. Yes.
0: Yes. All I want is shares of equity in as many deals as I can, and then I should be good. I don't want to just put right. all my eggs in one basket, one deal. Absolutely.
1: Right? Well, I want to transition now. We call the final four. These are four questions I ask all my guests, which is for you, the first one. What's the worst job that you ever had?
0: When I was really young, I worked at a camp, like uh-huh. a youth camp, and I cleaned toilets and then worked in the kitchen. <laughs> don't worry. I wash my hands hopefully well enough. But yeah, cleaning toilets. That's what I did. It was pretty awful, but it was a beautiful place in Ogden Canyon in uh, outside of Salt Lake city. So whatever.
1: <laughs> it's those early experiences, but I don't think that will do it for most people. Cleaning bathrooms is not the ideal job for anyone, even if you're a teenager and you got to do it. I hear that second question. What's a book you've read that's given you a paradigm shift?
0: So, Rich Dad Poor Dad, but that's a low-hanging fruit that really changed my life. The next book that changed my life is The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. It's a little woo-woo, but it's really the biggest nugget I got the first time I read the book was taking control of my own life and not being a victim of my situation, right? So, if you take control, take responsibility it doesn't mean someone didn't hurt you or you didn't like something didn't happen to you, but it doesn't matter. It's what do you do now with that? And just, it gives mm-hmm. you the power to do whatever you want with your life. So that book was really important to me. And that was, I read it in my transition from having the job to being the entrepreneur helped a lot.
1: That's a great one. No, definitely. Put that in the show notes for anyone who wants to check the power of now. Third question, what's a skill or talent that you would like to learn?
0: Well, I really wish I could speak a few languages. I honestly, that would be the one. Spanish and Italian. And now I have to learn French.
1: They're all closely related. So if you learn one, if you learn one, can you could probably pick them up. But then again, German is very close to English. so uh, It is? <laughs> yeah, English is a Germanic language in its roots. So it's actually pretty easy if you know English to learn German.
0: Spanish and Italian, would it would be nice because I have a really good roots in those two languages and they're very similar as well.
1: Well, there you go. And they'll help you next time you go back to Italy.
0: I only All need right. to know a few words in Italian. <laughs> I <can't> <laughs> <buy>. <laughs> now, Actually, I do pretty well when I'm there, especially if I've had a glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Everyone drinks wine there, right? Like it's pretty standard, just like during the day. Yes. Fourth and final question, Melanie, what does success mean to you?
0: Happiness, but not just that's low hanging fruit as well, but just like content and happy with what you've done and not because you settled, right? But because you did the striving, you did the failing, you had the contrast, you had the good and the bad. And at the end of the day, when you look back on your life, I feel like success is, yeah, I gave it my best shot and I'm happy with where I am. And just being content and happy. I think that's success.
1: That's it. That's really the key to everything. So I think you're spot on with that. So I appreciate that answer. Uh, very, very you, very apropos, because I think you know you live in that and trying to be the most successful you can. So appreciate that. And uh finally, where can our listeners find you or reach out to you?
0: Well, Freestyle Capital Group is kind of my main business. I have some other like the short-term rental one, is gonna have its own, but really everything's under the umbrella of Freestyle Capital Group. So Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, just the basic boring stuff. I'm really, I don't know, not branching out too far from that. They can find me using my name, Melanie McDaniel or Freestyle Capital Group. They'll find me somewhere.
1: There you go. Well, we will put all that in the show notes and I'm sure people will find you, reach out to you and they'll see you somewhere or other because you're everywhere. So we'll, although we haven't met yet in person, so that i yeah. sure we'll happen one of these days. We will. And yeah, thank you again for joining. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Good to have you on the show and I appreciate your time.
0: Thanks, Yona. It was fun.
1: And to our listeners, thank you guys for listening all the way to the end again. And remember the best advice comes only when you ask. Real quick, I have one question for you. Did you like this episode?